0: Thank you so much for being here. I am blown away by our attendance today. This is absolutely amazing, fantastic, uh, to see so many folks in every section. And if you are, are watching my live stream, I wish you could see what I'm seeing. Uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people here today Thank you so much. And I see so many folks who are visiting with us. Thank you for being here. I trust you'll stop by guest services. We have a whole bag of goodies we'd like to give you as our way of saying thank you for being here. And that's right in the lobby. Stop at guest services after the morning service. And, and uh, we would love to make your acquaintance. Uh, Ushers, if you'll go ahead and head this way, we have a handout that we would like to use out of 1 John chapter number 5 this morning. If you'll take out your handout and be ready to go, 1 John chapter number 5. I've entitled this morning's message, I do not have to live like a peasant. I do not have to live like a peasant. And I, uh, I'm, it's sad. Today is a sad day. We're actually finishing our last message out of 1 John. We have Spent many months going through this book, verse by verse, line by line, and where necessary, even word by word. We've learned a lot, and many of us who have been here through that journey, we know a lot more about the Book of First John. and uh, And we'll we're going to begin a new book uh, on Sunday mornings. We're preaching through the Bible, and so we're going to go to the Old Testament, and we're going to go to the Book of Ruth. And so uh, we'll look at that. It's an easy read. I would encourage you to read the book of Ruth and be right there. Go along with me as we study the book of Ruth and that'll begin next Sunday. Now, if you're visiting with us and you say, how do I I associate or become a member? How do I learn more about becoming a member? Right, so you have your handout. And in the upper left-hand corner, I'd like for you to write down March 13th. And so if you're visiting with us you would like to find out how you could become a member March the 13th at 1215, right after the morning service. We're going to have a lunch, and uh, we're going to feed you, and then I'm going to take that opportunity to do what we call our starting point class, and uh, during while you're eating, I'm going to tell you all about our church, uh, how to become a member of our church, and by the way, there's no obligation. You may come and listen to that and say, oh, man, this isn't the church for me, or you say that's exactly the kind of church I'd like to be a part of, and so that's Sunday, March the 13th, 1215, right after the morning service, and so please consider coming and be a part of that class as we have opportunity to get to know you, and you get to know our staff. Our staff will be there. We'll be able to introduce them to you. All right. We're all situated. First John chapter number five, and so we're going we're gonna to read a portion of scripture there in just a moment. Before we do that, let me introduce our message by giving you an illustration. Uh, The Queen Mary uh, was the largest ship to cross the oceans when she was first launched in 1936. And through four decades and a a world war she served until she was finally retired, she was anchored as a floating hotel and museum in Long Beach, California. And during that conversion, her three massive smokestacks were removed. And they needed to be scraped down, they needed to be repainted as they prepared the ship to be a floating museum. However, when the cranes took down the uh, smokestacks and laid them on their side, they crumpled and disintegrated. Virtually nothing was left of the three-quarter inch steel plate from which uh, these smokestacks were formed. And most of what remained was 30 coats of paint that had taken place during her years of service. The steel had rusted away. On the surface of those massive columns, everything seemed to be ship shape. Uh, but the reality of their condition was far different. Than her appearance. Now, the most amazing thing was that uh, they that, had that really even made it that far and that it lasted so long, if you think about it, without falling catastrophically upon the decks, crushing the passengers below. The strength of their surface sufficiency had brought them through the years of the tempestuous seas and battles and all the interactions with people. Neither the tossing of the waves, nor the crashing winds that had had come alongside the ship had brought those smokestacks down. Surface sufficiency survived the storms, but they failed under closer inspection. And when they were removed, they crumpled. I read that story, and I thought about this. Many believers have much in common with the Uh, uh, Queen Mary's smokestacks. They have surface sufficiency. They look okay on the outside, but they may not be so good on the inside. The weight of the years of trauma, of life, storms have weakened some believers. And today there are some that that maybe are facing a long marriage, ending in a bitter divorce. An addiction that's about to take place. Its final toll. For some ethical blunders have resulted in financial ruin or, or moral lapses, payoff and, and public disgrace. I think it's tragic to watch a believer fall. But it happens all the time. And the question is, how do we avoid a spiritual collapse? How do we avoid living just like a peasant when my father is the king of kings? <laughs> church family, and those who are visiting, the churches aren't getting stronger, they're getting weaker. Just like the Queen Mary, upon closer inspection, there's far too many churches, which is made up of people, who under the weight and stress of sin and temptation are collapsing. That's what this last passage of scripture deals with. I thought John, who would have written five chapters, that he would have landed his plane gracefully. On the contrary, he gives one final knockout punch. And I'd like for you to listen as we read 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 through 21. We'll do a responsive reading. You'll read... Uh, the even verses, I will read the odd verses. But together, we'll begin in verse number 16. If you do not have a Bible, the words will be on the screen behind me, or there's a Bible provided in the row that you are seated. But let's all participate this morning. Beginning in verse number 16, together, if any man... All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. This is our last passage of scripture as we we complete the book of 1 John. And throughout this letter, we've been taught again and again about the necessity of not just having relationship, which is salvation, but that we're to have fellowship with God, an ongoing relationship and fellowship that is very fruitful and fulfilling. Being saved brings eternal life, but intimate fellowship with God brings an abundant life. Oh, by the hundreds, if we could say amen this morning, I know that there are hundreds of you this morning that could say, I have eternal life. I've trusted Jesus. But I wonder if after this series of messages, we could say, I have abundant life. I have vibrant fellowship with my Heavenly Father. The key to avoiding collapse is an unrelenting, uninterrupted fellowship with God. Sin breaks our fellowship with God. Sin breaks that fellowship. And so if we live in sin, we cannot have fellowship with God. You can have eternal life. You can have salvation. But your fellowship comes from having a life where sin has been confessed. When you are... Married, you began a relationship. There was a piece of paper that said you were married. You began a relationship. And probably there was a lot of fellowship at first. However, if you don't fan those flames of intimacy, there's going to be some dire consequences in the relationship and to the fellowship part of your marriage relationship. In this last passage, John gives us four keys to... Fan the flames of intimacy with God. And we should practice all four of these keys. Key number one is this. We should know the destructiveness of sin. We should know the destructiveness of sin. I am a sinner, but I hate sin. Because sin breaks fellowship. Sin hurts God. Sin hurts my relationships with man. Sin hurts relationships. And we should know the power and destructiveness of sin. John says something that's pretty amazing and should scare all of us. Do I have your attention? He says that there are some sins that lead to death. There are some sins that lead to death. In verses 16 and 17, John writes three times about a sin not unto death and once of a sin unto death, as well as our responsibility to pray for those who are caught up in sin. And because the concept of sin leading to death is so intriguing, let's examine that first. May I say sin always, ultimately brings about death. Romans 6, verse 23 says specifically, for the wages of sin is death. To paraphrase, we could say, because we sin, we die. Um, In the Garden of Eden, God told Adam this, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So sin and the consequences of that sin being death go all the way back to Adam when he, he died spiritually at, at, at that transgression, but eventually his sin also brought about his physical death. Well, here in 1 John chapter 5, the Apostle, Paul, uh, Apostle John excuse me, wants to, uh, us to know that all sins ultimately cause physical death. However, there are some sins that can cause an immediate physical death. Let's examine that. In other words, there are some believers that die before God intended them to die. There are some believers who die of their own choosing. They disobey. They rebel. They refuse to hear the voice of God to the point that they no longer serve His purposes on earth. So He just takes them home to heaven. Now that doesn't mean He doesn't love them. It means that He can no longer use them here on this earth. Above all, God desires fellowship with his children. And I, let me personalize that God desires fellowship with us. And if we won't fellowship with him here on earth, he may just take us home early so he can have fellowship with us in heaven. There's much preaching today on God's love, yet there's little preaching today about the severity of God's love. God loves us so much, he refuses to allow us to throw our lives away. He will not let us destroy our lives and the lives of others. So there's sometimes that he takes Christians home first. And we need to know not only the love of God, but we need to understand the warnings of God's love and the consequences of choosing not to obey those things that God instructs us to do. And you might be tempted to, to think this. I know this is wrong, but I'm really only hurting myself. That's not true. And as a believer, you are not only related to God, but you are related to his family. And we are related and connected to each other through what's called the local New Testament church. And therefore, when one of us sins, it affects the entire body. Oh, if we could ever grasp that concept. First Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 26 says, And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. And one member be honored. All the members rejoice with it. Well, let me give you some examples of sin in the Bible. You say, is this biblical, what John was writing? Well, of course it is. He wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But let me give you some real examples from the Bible. Numbers chapter 3 and verse 4 tells us of the first two sons of Aaron. Their their names were uh, Nadab and Abihu. And the Bible says they died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord. In other words, they deviated from God's prescribed way of worship. Numbers chapter 16 tells us of Korah who led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. And God caused the ground to open up and swallowed all of them who followed after Korah. Talk about an instant death, burial, and in the grave, no time for a funeral service. They were gone because they stood against God's chosen. Numbers chapter twenty verse ten says that even Moses rebelled when he struck the rock instead of speaking to it as God had instructed him, and he said, "Hear now, ye rebels! Must we fetch you water out of this rock?" And God said to him, "Because ye believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them." Listen, Moses, the man who was responsible for so much with the nation of Israel, disobeyed God, and it caused him to die. Joshua chapter 7 teaches that Achan rebelled when he violated God's command not to take anything from the destruction, from the war that took place in in Jericho. Israel was defeated as a result of that sin, and many died because of that sin. We know that they found uh, a, a beautiful garment and silver and gold in his tent. And here's what's interesting. Was just Achan stoned? The Bible says that Achan and his family were taken out and they were stoned and they died prematurely because of sin. Well, and we learn in 2 Samuel chapter 6, it speaks of Uzzah, who dared touch the Ark of the Covenant as it was being moved. And in and, 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 and 2 Samuel 6 and verse 7, it says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him for his error, and he died beside the Ark of, the, of God. You say, oh, those are all Old Testament stories, pastor. Okay, let's go to the New Testament. Acts chapter 5, we learn of Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to the apostles about money they received from the sale of some land, and they were struck down one at a time and taken out, and they were buried for their lie. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 gives us another example. Uh, The apostle Paul wrote to the church of, of Corinth. He said, there are some of you among you who have profaned the Lord's table or communion. Or the Lord's Supper. And he says in verse number 30. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you. And many have died. Or that word sleep there means died. Many have slept or died. Because they did what? Misuse the Lord's Supper. I say to all of us. As a warning. Some sins still lead to death. There are some sins that still lead to death. Some might say, Pastor, do you really believe that that still happens? Absolutely, 100%. Yes, I do. And we often do not recognize causes of suffering and death because we're not aware of the circumstances. In each of the examples I mentioned, the sins were not the same. Uh, What turns an ordinary sin into a sin leading to death? We put this in your notes because I want you to make sure you have it. Maybe you could put a box around it. The common thread of sin that leads to death is premeditated disobedience and rebellion in the face of God with the clear knowledge that it is wrong. May I say that again? The common thread of sins that lead to death is a premeditated disobedience and rebellion in the face of God with the clear knowledge that it, is wrong. Death does not always come immediately, but sometimes it does. Not all sickness and not all premature deaths are the result of willful sin, but some are. Now, I'm so thankful that there's some sins that do not lead to death, or we would all be gone today. I'm so thankful that there are some sins that do not lead to death. Three times in two verses, John tells us there's a sin which is not unto death. Most of our sins fall into this category. Sometimes we sin out of ignorance or ingrained habits. And the Bible just simply says that we're to confess these sins. We're to receive forgiveness and cleansing, as Dwight quoted from 1 John 1 and verse 9 earlier this morning. And you might ask, how do you know a sin is not leading to death? I've got the answer. You're still breathing. Verse 17 says this, all unrighteousness is sin. All sin is harmful, and it's destructive, but not all sins lead to death. I go back to the definition that we gave you just a few moments ago. But here's what I have learned from this study is that all sin requires our prayers. All sin requires a vibrant prayer life. It requires us to talk to the Lord. The heart of these verses is not so much about the sin as it is about the prayer, the conversation with God, to restore fellowship with God. John says, if any man see his brother uh, sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he, that's God, shall give him life uh, for them that sin not unto death. When we see we're to ask a prayer for God's intervention and for his help. If I had some terrible illness, uh, but had not been to a doctor, and you knew I was sick, what would you suggest? Brent, we've got to get you to the doctor. We've got to get an appointment. We've got, I'll drive you to the hospital. I'll drive you to your doctor's appointment, but you've got to go see a doctor. Why, then, would we see a fellow believer caught up in sin? Do we say, ah, that's his business, don't want to get involved, when sin hurts The body. And if we truly love one another, we want to have a strong and a healthy, vibrant church, we should recognize sin and come along and pray for those people and help those who are in sin. There was a well-known pastor. He says in this verse, it means that when we see a brother uh, in sin, here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to tell God on him. We're to pray for him that he does not go too far, that he confesses his sin. We're to pray for that brother or that sister who is sinning a sin which does not lead to death in order that that sin does not become a sin that, le- that leads unto death. There's far too many Christians who are living in deliberate, willful, destructive, discourteous sin. And a person cannot do that without God's involvement. Either what is revealed is that person is not a believer, which God leaves alone, or if that person is a believer, a believer cannot continue in sin without there being a consequence for that sin. By the way, that's a demonstration of God's love. He will not allow us to go on sinning without there being a repercussion for that sin. Now, last week, we learned that God will hear and that he answers our prayers when we pray according to his will. And we also learned about praying for ourselves. But this week, John changes the focus that we should be praying for others. And our concern should always be that we see a sinning brother restored. Galatians 6 and verse 1 says this, Brethren, if a man be overtaken a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, unless unless you also be tempted. What are we to pray? We're to pray that God will do whatever it takes to restore our sinning brother. And it seems that when we earnestly pray for our erring brother, that person may receive an extra measure of God's grace. Why is that? Because the faithful prayers of those in fellowship with God touch the heart of God. I'm thankful for people who pray for me. Thank you. And I pray for you. And together, if our fellowship is strong, then that means God's helping out in a lot of situations right here in church that we don't even understand. Can you help me? Key number one, John writes very clearly that we're to know what? Can you look back on your notes there? We're to know what? The destructive. How destructive the power of sin, how it destroys, how it eats up, how it harms the body. So, we should understand the destructive nature and power of sin. Here's key number two. John says this We're to avoid the clutches of the enemy. We're to avoid the clutches of the enemy. And in verse number 18, he says, Our new nature is sinless, but our flesh is still flawed. Have you ever, have you ever just understood? Uh, understood there is a battle going on. I want to do right. I want to, I, I want to be that person who does not sin. And then you understand your flesh and they're constantly battling against each other. John says, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. When you were born again, you received a new nature. That's what Paul said. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. However, this new you, the new nature, it's still encased in a body called flesh and that's why as long as we live these bodies are still struggling with that temptation of sin if you Marking your Bibles or taking notes, underline this part. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself. That little phrase, keepeth himself, means to hold fast, to stand guard. The Christian who desires uninterrupted fellowship with God, he keeps watch and he's vigilant about the temptation. He's vigilant about his personal sin. He's sensitive when he sins. The Holy Spirit that lives within him, lives within her, will convict you of that sin. Israel was delivered from Egypt, but they still thought about it. They still wondered, man, it's so hard out here in the desert. Wouldn't it be great to go back into slavery so that we can have food? Sometimes we do just like the Israelites. We've been saved, gloriously saved. And Maybe we hit a little rough patch in our life, and here's what we do. We Fantasize about the lifestyle of the unbeliever and oh, if I could just act like them. They seem to have so much fun living the way they are living. I just tell you, don't go there. Don't go there. Look again with me at verse number 18. Because your new nature sinneth not, then that wicked one toucheth him not. Satan is an external power. Satan is not an internal power. Satan does not live within you. Praise God. The Holy Spirit lives within you. Don't give victory to Satan. The enemy only wins when the new you surrenders to the flesh and submits again to that old lifestyle. Remember who you are. You're a child of the king. You do not have to live like an indentured servant. You've been freed from sin. Get this. Believers don't have to sin. They choose to sin. Believers do not have to sin, we choose to sin. That's a damning admission that when I look back over my life and all of those sins, I made a choice to do that. I made a choice that what I wanted to do was more important than the Holy Spirit that lives within me. But I encourage you this morning... uh, Uh, that there's a power in you called the Holy Spirit, you do not have to choose to sin. But we must understand this. The world is in the grasp of Satan. And there is a spiritual battle going on. John writes about it in verse 19. John says, we know that we are of God. Uh, We can know that we know. He said in verse 13 that we know uh, that we have eternal life. However, we also know that this whole world Tucson, your neighborhood, it lieth in wickedness. Everything in this world is cradled in the arms of Satan. And I'd say, Christian, discern, discern, discern. Know what's going on around you. Don't expect to be able to guard your heart if you fill your mind with Satan's lies. Satan will do everything as a believer to destroy your faith. To make you weak in your knees. Proverbs 4 and verse 23 says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Don't just pray for your brother or sister who's caught up in a sin, as in verse 16 and 17. But pray for yourself, that you will not be easily deceived. Oh, my time's gone by super fast this morning. Let's jump uh, ahead to uh, key number three. Grow in your understanding of Christ. Oh yes, you've got to understand the destructive power of sin, but that should cause you to grow in your understanding of Christ. In this next last verse, John reaffirms the consistent theme of this letter. We know that the Son of, uh, of God has come. We can verify him objectively in history and subjectively through our own experience with the Holy Spirit that lives within us. We also know that he has given us an understanding that we're understanding means this, our faculty, or our mind. Christ has given us the ability to understand his truth. And we live in a world that's filled with lots of opinions about everything. And and even today, in the last two years, uh, who knows anything for sure? Here's one thing I do know for sure. The word of God is true. It is complete. It is a guide. It is something that we can stand on. It is a solid foundation. There are no opinions if we follow the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 7 describes as ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. If we get into the Word of God, we will never ever know it all. But we know this. It is true. It will help us grow. It's wonderful to have this understanding. Five times in the last verses, John says this. You can know. You can know. And when we pursue fellowship with God, uh, our understanding of Him that is true grows. And we become confident that we are in Him uh, and that He abides with us. I'm so thankful for that, that my fellowship increases, my understanding increases, it's maintained as I allow the Holy Spirit to use and grow my life. Finally, this morning, there's a fourth key that John gives us. I, in this message, I do not have to live like a peasant. We should determine to worship God only. We should determine to worship God and Him only. John concludes with a final note of intimacy as he calls us little children. Don't be offended by that. He used this phrase now for the 15th time in this letter it's as though grandpa has gathered all the family together one last time before he before he's about to leave them and he gives them a hug and he gives them some advice and his advice is startling simple now notice this he says this keep yourselves from idols this i have to admit is strange Understand that he doesn't mention idols one other time in this entire letter. And so he concludes the letter. He spent all of this time talking about relationship and fellowship, how that we must have this intimacy with God. never mentions idols one time, and he ends the book. Oh, it seems like an oh, by the way, keep yourselves from idols. What does he mean here? It's strange. And at first, first read, it sounds maybe it's weak and non-dramatic in its conclusion. And this is why interpreting the Bible necessitates an understanding of the cultural setting. So let's go back 2,000 years ago to understand what John is saying here. In the Greco-Roman culture, where John was writing from, every single home, every single business had an idol that people worshipped. And John is saying every sin uh, uh, that he's written about would include some form of idolatry. And his original readers could easily have put this letter into practice and understood what John was talking about. And you might say, Pastor, I don't have to worry about that. I don't worship any idols today. Are you sure? Oh, you may not have an idol of stone, marble. You may not have a a, 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 an idol that you have created and you talk to every day. You may not have that. But centuries ago, Augustine, he wrote this. Idolatry is worshipping anything that ought to be used or using anything that ought to be worshipped. An idol is anything that you put before God. What do you idolize? What do you value as most important in life? Popularity? Prestige? Money? Find possessions, hobbies, toys, career. What do you put before your relationship with God? If there's anything that you put before your relationship with God, it's an idol. And John says this, keep yourselves from idols. If God is not in it, it's an idol, and it's, and it's just chasing the wind. There's nothing to grab hold of. It's empty. It's useless. And if you're born of God, you'll never find joy or true happiness in anything without fellowship with God. And if you set up anything before God, it becomes an idol. Anything. Anything. Your fellowship with God is diminished, and you are heading for a fall, just like a barrel goes over a a waterfall. And again, if we don't measure our fellowship with God by uh, our warm feelings, we measure fellowship by our decisions. Some people say, ah, God knows my heart. Guess what? He does know your heart. And when we cavalier, we say, ah, God knows I have good intentions. He knows your heart. You don't need counseling you need to make a choice this morning. Will it be for God? Or is it for my idols of my own making? The last word in this letter on fellowship with God is that there is no neutrality. You choose to worship God or you choose to worship something else. What do you choose to worship today? I remind you, that's, uh, as far as my notes are finished, I remind you of something this morning. Jesus came. And they put a superscription above his head on the cross. He was the king of what? He was the king of kings. And for that, he got a crown of thorns. But you're visiting with us and you've never heard this before. Maybe you visit visited with us several times or you're a church member and you could be reminded of this. The king of kings died so that I could have life eternal. And when I choose to say I'm a, a Christian, I choose to say I'm a, a believer. When I make that decision and I have this head knowledge without an experiential knowledge, what I'm saying is that I'm living like a peasant. I know best. I know how to live my own life. And it's time that we quit living like a peasant and we and we and we realize we serve the King of Kings. We have life eternal. Promise for us are the vast riches of heaven. We're going to experience things that we've never experienced before. And yet, we walk as close to the world as we can walk so that we can be identified by the world rather than by Christ. God, forgive us. Quit living like peasants. Start living like a subject Of the king of kings and lord of lords. Somebody that you revere. You want to please. You don't want that fellowship broken. You want to know that the king of kings approves of the way you live your life. You do not have to sin. We choose to sin. And if we allow the Holy Spirit of God to convict us of that sin. And when we do sin, we'll immediately confess it. Our fellowship will always be right there with our heavenly father. But we become comfortable Ah, he'll be there when I need him. He's there all the time. Let's keep that fellowship alive. I'm so thankful that we can pray for ourselves and we can pray for others. Do you know if someone is living in sin? Ah, that's their business. Or are you praying for them? John's very direct. Gives us four keys. Are you following these four keys this morning? I'm so thankful for the study that we've had in 1st John. I've learned personally so much. It's been a challenge to my life. And even as John finishes this book, he says this, "Brent, keep yourselves from your idols. The things that you choose to put before God. God help me not to do that and to be the right example for all of us. But you, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, you have a you have an equally important responsibility." That's to live your life free from idols.